You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. All right. I'd like to teach the word from the book of John again. I taught in the previous session, not the same. Uh, Chapter 4 was the previous session. Now it's chapter 5 and verse 1. Chapter 5 and verse 1. That's the New Testament under the J's. Trying to be helpful. Sometime later, it says in my Bible, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. We have seven festivals, three of which are surrounded around Easter. We have Pascha or Passover, where a lamb is usually on a Shabbat night, a Friday night, and then We also start with the next festival, which is called the Unleavened Bread, which is seven days. And then the third day is First Fruits. And then, of course, 50 days later, we have Shaviot, which is what you call Pentecost. And then we go on to Atonement and Yom Kippur. Those are the seven festivals that we have that Moses left us. But there is a festival that we also celebrate, that Jesus did celebrate in winter, it's, uh, you, you, you all recognize it, it's called the Festival of Lights, and it's at Christmas time, and it came because 170, almost 180 years before Christ came, the Assyrians had oppressed Israel, and uh, these, uh, they'd taken over the nation, and they had defiled the temple with sacrificing pigs and Lord knows what else, and it was quite a mess. And then there was a revolt led by the Maccabees. Maccabees and his five sons led a revolt. He lost his life in those two years, but they won and drove out the Syrians only to go back and clean up the temple. And they wanted to once again restore and they put the menorah, which is a big, heavy, solid gold candle, candelabra with seven uh, little vestibules to light. And it represents the presence of God uh, in seven days a week, 24 hours it must burn with special holy oil. And of course, after these years of being oppressed by these Assyrians, there was no holy oil, but they by some miracle found a small amount in the temple. And they thought they'd light it and see, but only burned for a few hours, just get it to burn, start burning. And it burned for eight days and nights, an absolute miracle. And hence, we have Hanukkah, the nine Calabrian now we use as the ninth one is to celebrate those eight days that those candles burnt. Christ celebrated that too. You'll find also the book of John is there in winter celebrating the festival of lights. But this one is a different other festival he's celebrating. He went up always to Jerusalem because the Jews gathered at the temple. Um, Those of who have not been to Israel, uh, the temple area in the time of Jesus, the platform that's still there today known as the Temple Mount, is about 14 rugby fields large to this day. And they would have any t- anywhere between three and 4,000 people in a festival up on that mountain. And they would be sacrificing easily at Passover between two and 3,000 lambs. It was a vast thing whenever they had festivals. Jews came from all over. So the Lord Jesus would always go to festivals because he was, his, his calling was for the Jews. So he would look where they were, he came to teach or to bring the gospel that they had a, no excuse they would hear the gospel from him. And in verse 2, it says, Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, 
for those that are even interested, there are seven gates officially, and this the sheep gate is now known as the lion gate, but it's right on the north east side, right as the temple begins, and it says that near this gate, it's called the sheep gate because until 90 years ago, the Bedouins would sell their sheep right there until recently, and that's what they use the sheep for sacrificing so close to the temple, and so the there's a pool called, in Aramaic, Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Well, I need you to understand what, what I'm describing now. Think of a gazebo or a, uh, I don't know what you'd say, how you'd say it here in this country. Uh, these, if you had a place to pry, afdak, a groot afdak, met pilare, but there are five of these. And there's two pools, one would bubble, and one would be calm because a, a mikvah has to be calm, which is a holy pool where you sanctify yourself. And so the, and the, the Bible says in verse 3, here a great number of disabled or people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So visualize this pool just slightly north of the main entrance to the temple and this, temp, this, this holy pool and here are all these people laying here, paralyzed, they're lame, and they're blind. One who had been an invalid for 38 years also lay there. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned, he didn't get revelation, someone told him that he had been in the con this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Now this man's laying at the pool where all the sick people are because there is a... A tradition that the angel comes and troubles the water. It's actually a geographical thing because there's a, um, a water source of water. Let me just tell you this. Jerusalem, <laughs> the city of Jerusalem, has three valleys. And these three valleys come together. And if you know Hebrew, the 22nd letter is Shin, which looks like that. It has three stripes and it, it comes together at the bottom. Is the letter for God. And if you look at the, Jerusalem from the top, from the, from the air, you'd see this, these three valleys. And God said, I'd put my name on the city. The first valley is the Kidron Valley. And this whole peninsula, the first peninsula, is where the city of David and Jerusalem is founded. What makes it so valuable and profound all the years is inside the mountain is a spring called the Gihon Spring. And so it comes from inside the mountain. And in a desert, water is always worth more than gold. And so this Gihon Springs that were inside the water also came out at this Bethesda and formed a pool and it would bubble. And you're not allowed to have those bubbles, so you had to make another pool. So this big area, all these sick people. And Jesus asks the man that's sick, do you want to get well? I'm thinking, no, I'm just sitting here because I've got nothing else to do with myself. I mean, I've been an invalid 38 years. What a strange question. But I realize the Lord does that because he needs a connection. A woman that said, if I can just touch his garment, I'd be healed. And Jesus said, it's not the garment that healed you. He said to her, your faith has healed you. But she needed a connection. And so he asked, do you want to get well? And sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now for 38, nine years he has not. At once the man was cured, he picked up the mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. 
And I have to enlighten you because I know that you guys don't grasp what Shabbat means to a Jew. Not only is it a day of rest, it's a holy day. And already on Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock, everything shuts down. Any Israelis are, Jews are, because they're getting ready for Shabbat. Because once the sun sets, there's no more labor. And there's all kinds of ceremonies, and they sing, and, and they say certain prayers, and the food's made already. It's a, it's a time of rejoicing where the children get blessed by the Father. It's a very important time. Mother lights the candle for 24 hours. Shabbat's a big thing. It is so big to give you an idea how serious in Jerusalem today, today, there are neighborhoods where there are Orthodox Jews. And I say Orthodox, these people wear black from top to bottom, have curls inside of their faces, women and men. Women wear wigs, men wear these little hats with the little curls inside. The kids are wear black and they let their kids marry as quick as they legally can and have as many kids as they can because they are trying to bring back the Orthodox Jew as much as they can to build Israel. And they are so Orthodox that it's common knowledge, even though it's legal and they're allowed to people, anybody can drive through those neighborhoods because it's an open, free city, that they common knowledge, nobody drives through those neighborhoods because they, these Orthodox Jews will stone your car on a Sabbath because they take Shabbat Sabbath so seriously. It's a big thing, even today. Shabbat's very big right there, everywhere where, where, where the real uh, Jews that are dedicated. So this happened during, the, during Shabbat. And John's writing, he's saying, this happened during the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The Lord forbids you to carry your mat. And I'm going, Jesus, you had to tell him to take his mat. Couldn't he just leave his mat there? But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow? Who told you to pick up, up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea. What? So Jesus walks into a pool where there's all these sick people, heals only one person, and doesn't even, doesn't even know who did it. Are you telling me you didn't even tell him about the gospel? Are you telling me, Jesus, you didn't tell him about the kingdom? All you did was heal him? That doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Why would you walk into all these sick people? If I was there, say, Master, let's not leave. Let's have a service. Let's, let's line up a few sick people and pray and then preach the gospel. That's what I would do. We could, we could re-rock this place. But he walked into this pool and he specifically found a lame man, healed him, didn't even give the gospel to him and walked out. Pretty strange to me. Uh, so later... Verse 14, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you're well again. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. He's 38 years lame. What kind of sin should he be doing? Or something worse may happen to you. Worse than being lame for 38 years? Yeah, eternal destruction. He's disconnected from God. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on a Sabbath, you cannot heal on a Sabbath. It's the strangest thing. How religion and these people that are supposed to be God's people do not want you to heal on a Sabbath. It's a strange thing to me. They even told Jesus that he's healing by the power of the devil. There are people in the church that'll fight you just because you want to serve God. They'll criticize your zeal for the Lord. It's the strangest thing that religion can choke a person so. And so they began to persecute him. In verse 17, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work. To this very day. 
and I too am working. And that's what I want you to know today, that stuff is always going on every day that you just don't know of. The disciples had no idea why he walked into the pool of Bethesda and healed one person. There were so many things that Jesus did that they had no idea. Just earlier, they had had a transfiguration. You know, he goes up on the mountain with some of the disciples, and there's Moses and Elijah, who've been dead for hundreds of years. And I'm thinking now, here's Moses, here's Elijah. What would I do? I would, I would want to have a conversation and ask him a lot of questions. You know what Peter does? Shall, shall I build a tent? That's what goes to Peter's mind, building a tent for Moses and Elijah. I think a little ridiculous because they, they didn't know. They come down the mountain and Jesus says to them, don't tell anyone what you saw. He did many things they had no idea. He didn't explain to them why he healed only one person in the pool of Bethesda, but he had a plan. He was always busy. He said, my father is always working. God is always at work in your life and you don't know, you feel frustrated, things don't work out the way you want, but he's always at work in your life, always doing something every day of your life. Something's going on. Now, stay with me. So here it is, the, this whole peninsula of the city of David goes from altitude up right to the top, the pool of Bethesda is right on top, the temple, and you come down to the city of David, and you go, keep going down, and inside that city of David is the Gihon Springs. And when Hezekiah was king, you read it in your Bibles, he was concerned that they might attack him and get hold of the water, so he sent his builders and construction workers down into the mountain to redirect that water. And they, they chiseled and they literally by hand made holes throughout the mountain to redirect the water, Gion Springs, to come out inside the walls of the city and right down this, because water flows downwards. And that's where the Pool of Siloam was created. So now we have two holy pools, one in the north, one in the south. There were many miracles done that Jesus did, but only two of them in Jerusalem were ever told about. All the other miracles were just, he did miracles. But the two that we, only two miracles in Jerusalem that he, that's recorded is this one here in the Pool of Bethesda. And the other one is at Siloam, where a blind man from birth was healed and to go wash his eyes in the Pool of Siloam. He's blind from birth and Jesus heals him also on a Sabbath. On a Sabbath and sends him to the Pool of Siloam to wash his eyes. And it's a very strange thing that there was no ministry or preaching at this man either. And there was such an arguing about that he's really blind from birth and all this kind of thing. How do you know someone's blind from birth? I mean, does this, the signs say, I've been blind since I was born? Because most blind people just stare out in the space. But I've seen people that have these undeveloped eyes that have the sockets, that just little eyelashes. You can't even see an eyeball. And I'm convinced Jesus walked by this man and saw no eyes and... He said, what was it again? Garden, um, creation, man, dust, dust, I need dust. So he found some dust and didn't know how to get it nicely rounded. So he spat in it and made it nice and round and made little eyeballs and popped them in there. And he said, can you see? Well, go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. Get, that, get it nice and clean. So he did a creative miracle. But I'm convinced in my heart that he had a very specific purpose for these two miracles that are so clearly named. Because... In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6, when King David finally arrived at Jerusalem, the last of all the Philistines were called the Jebusites. 
And they stood on the wall and they mocked David. They shouted down at David, you will not take this city. It's in 2 Samuel 5 verse 6. Even a blind man and a lame man will keep you out. So when the son of David came to the city, he healed a blind man and a lame man on the Sabbath because he's Lord of Sabbath. So no blind man or lame man would keep him out of the city. And he secured the whole place spiritually because that's what Jesus did many things. He said, this must be done that all things can be fulfilled. He was careful to keep things aligned with God's purpose. He knew what was written and he kept it very carefully all lined up. And in your life, God is always working. You don't feel it. You don't understand what it is. He decided, disciples had no clue what he was doing half the time. They didn't he come on the last few weeks of his life were the most paramount. He brought, had a donkey, he came into the city. It was the Passover time and he finds a tree with leaves on. It's not time, it's March, April, it's Easter time. They're only supposed to have the big figs in October and he sees no figs on it, so he curses the tree. And the next day, Peter's all, whoa, look, Jesus, the tree died. He's all excited about the miracle, not about why did you curse this tree? What is the purpose of that? Not interested. Never asked him. I'm convinced that it was prophetic for the tree because the tree itself has big leaves and tiny, tiny fruit. When the leaves come out, that tiny fruit comes too. And they normally in Israel pick it off or they eat it. It hasn't got the great same, same taste as the big figs. And when Jesus saw there's no fruit, he curses the tree because it was a prophetic symbol of Israel. And they were supposed to be, they were called to be a light to the world, a testimony to the whole world, and they just weren't. They did failed. And what happened was, Jesus said in Matthew 24, a more terrible time is coming and has never been before. And, and will never be again. Had he said, will never be again, had not said that, I would have thought, well, that may be for us, the end times, but never be again, that means there's going to be more time after that. So what's he referring to? Because in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. And from 70 AD to 1948, the nation of Israel was persecuted and scattered throughout the world. All you remember is the, is the Second World War. But long before that, the nation of Israel was beaten and pushed aside and persecuted through every nation for 2,000 years because it was a time for the Gentiles to, get the, to be grafted in and to be saved. It was their season and they'd failed themselves and so a more terrible time and he warned them what was coming. That curse of that tree was all prophetic and the disciples did not understand it. And I can go on and tell you more and more symbols. They just didn't get it. He did many things that were very profound and he's doing things in your life. You have said, it feels to me I've come a whole circle in my life. You've said things like that because God is busy working in your life. You are the most important creation God has. Let me, let me explain to you. There are billions of angelic beings. These beings can move through space and time and have great powers. You have some that are messengers, some that are like archangels, like Michael. There are cherubims, cherubim. there are many kinds of angelic beings. A third left him with Lucifer. So when God made man, for the first time, he made man in his image. We are made like him. Not one angel was made like him. And then to prevent that we'd have the same routing as the, 
angels with all the power and immortality, he put us on a planet and gave us a carbon body from the planet to be needed to be here and living here. He gave us this body to live in here so and a time frame so we would be able to live and get to know him and choose him. Because now we, it's such a delicate thing because he made us in his image. And when we failed, there was only one last option was to himself to replace and die and pay the price. To stay within the parameters of his own, uh, own boundaries, he had to give himself to die for us. The most remarkable story. You are so important to God. Everything about you is, you don't feel that way and the devil wants you to see your value goes on your little comforts and things must go your way. If you get a parking in front of pick and pay, now God's blessing you. And if you're struggling, now God's doing something. That's a lot of childish nonsense. God's exactly who he says he is and he's blessed you. He's busy in your life and he wants, he's got eternal plans for you. You're not sitting here by coincidence or by chance. He picked you. He chose you. He loves you. No matter what messed up stuff is going on in your life. He chose you. That's why you're here. And he's got an eternal plan for your life. And he's busy working inside of you. My father is always working. And so am I. No matter what it looks like, he's busy working. He's got a plan. We haven't got our building yet, but he's working, I'm telling you. And I'm no God. I've known him. I've actually been walking with him for a while and I know him. We're like this. You know, there's God and there's me. And we get along most of the part. But I know from experience that he's waiting for you to get really comfortable before he moves you. So he's, you haven't put the air conditioning in because you want to save some dollars, but God wants you to spend it all because he's not dependent upon that. And when you get everything just right, he asks you to please move now. I have no doubt. There's a piece of land that burns in my heart since I can remember, but I know that belongs to you guys. I, nothing, it never changes. The same piece, the same piece. Every time I go by, by the same piece, same piece. <laughs> and God is not in a hurry because the building's not important to the Lord. It's your growth, my growth. It is what we learn on the journey that's going there because that's what's eternal. You can build the most magnificent building. When that trumpet sounds, the Muslims get your building. They're not going anywhere. They can have your building. All those wonderful Royal Albert teacups you've been saving, they get all your cups. They get your Mercedes Benz. They get all your stuff. All the stuff you're saving, you're leaving for the Muslims. Why is everyone so nervous about that? Muslims are not born again. There's only one way to heaven. I don't care what church you've been going to. Jesus Christ is the only way. I'm never going to apologize for that. He's the only way. It's a free gift of salvation. Hebrews 2 says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's a gift. Do you hear what I'm saying? You have to work hard for a Muslim. You have to work so hard to be anything. Right? I don't know, their promises, they, they work hard and kill themselves, they can get 21 virgins, good Lord, 50, 45 years with one wife has worn me out, I can't imagine 21 virgins, no, thank you, can keep them, keep them, keep them, thank you, that's not, no reward for me. And who rewards the, the virgins? I don't understand how that works, it's very strange, very strange thinking this. God is not a Muslim. 
God's a Christian. You understand he's a Christian. It's the truth. I won't lie to you. God is always working in your life. You can moan and complain about things not working out the way you want them, but he's working in your life. And the more you are yielded to him, the more fun it gets. While you're still fighting God, he's going to keep working in things that seem to be a little unpleasant, but he's on your side. He's trying to help you. He loves you so much. The times he doesn't give you what you ask for is because it's going to hurt you. You don't give your five-year-old a gun because he asks he wants a gun for Christmas. You'll give him a toy. You won't give him a real gun. Why not? Because you love him too much. Right? So God's not going to give you stuff because you ask for it. He's going to hurt you. He's more worried about the long-term program in your life. He's very, he's very into your life. Every, he counts the hairs on your head. Who counts the hairs? Who does that? Nobody. God does. He loves you so much. He's always working in your life. And Jesus does things all the time that you don't understand why. Because there's a much more complex plan going on inside of your life, inside of the things around you. And what seems to be calamity, he has the power to make things work together for good. It's almost like it's forceful. I heard that, that someone feels forced to love me. I love you by force and by choice, right? So I say, may the force be with you. Wives, tell your husband, may the force be with you. He's a good God. Yeah, it really is. God is working in your life. Don't you dare give up. 